0: If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. As you can see, we're going to be in verses 35 through 41. This is the well-known story of when Jesus calms the storm. And one of the reasons, probably the primary reason why I chose this passage, although there are many, uh, is that not too long ago I picked up this kid's book called The Storm That Stopped. I picked it up for my, my two sons, and it's, it's just a children's version of this story that we see here in Mark, and it is awesome. It's really, really good, and so I've been reading it a lot. I've been thinking a lot about this story, uh, and then when I found out that I was going to be in Mark chapter 4, and it just so happens that that's where this story is, uh, I was like, this is perfect. i got to preach on this passage, and so that is uh, ultimately why we're here this morning, Uh, And I hope to show you some awesome things through it. But kids, uh, I'm not going to read the story to you this morning, but I am going to read the text. And as I read the text, we're going to have some pictures from the storybook going by uh, that that help you visualize what this story is really about. So kids, pay attention. Adults, you're not allowed to look at the screen. You have to look at your Bibles. Uh, Kids, you all can look at the screen and try and visualize what's going on in this story, and try to start thinking about making sense of what this story is all about. So we're going to read the passage here, Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, "'Let us go across to the other side.'" And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, "'Teacher, do you not care?' that even the wind and the sea obey him. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would send your spirit to be with us as we open your word. We know that if your spirit is not here, opening our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to believe, that our time here is going to amount to nothing. And so I pray that he would come, that you would send him, and that you would change us by what we see here in this story. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. One of the most famous hymns ever written is, It is well with my soul. I'm assuming that the majority of you know this hymn very well. We sing it here often. And the first line of that hymn goes like this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. The author here uses poetic language regarding the suffering, uh, regarding suffering that is both common to Scripture and common to our everyday language. He speaks of suffering being like a storm at sea, both raging and uncontrollable, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Now we cannot deny that we speak of the trials and sufferings that we endure in this life with that type of language, do we not? We speak about going through difficult times in our lives. We speak about going through storms. When these storms hit our lives, inevitably they always, for the believer, do two things. They challenge our faith and they reveal Jesus to us. Every challenge, every storm does these two things, challenges our faith and reveals Jesus to us. And in this story here this morning, uh, this story records for us a literal Faith challenging storm, and it shows to us what a great Savior we have. And I'm confident that as we go throughout here this morning, we will see how helpful and instructive this passage is for helping us walk through the storms that we encounter in life. So, our aim here this morning, as we look at the story, is to see what a great Savior we have amid life's storms. And the way that we're going to look at the text is, first, we're going to consider how this storm challenged the faith of the disciples. Secondly, we're going to look at the story and see how this storm reveals to us the identity of Jesus. And then at the end, we're going to try to bring these two things together and see what kind of help this passage gives us for, the own, for our own storms in life. So beginning here, uh, we're gonna pick up in verse 37. In verse 35 and 36, it just kind of sets the stage for where we are in the story. Uh, We see that Jesus had been teaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee all day, and evening had arrived, and he tells his disciples, let's get on the boat and go to the other side of the sea. And as they're in the sea, we see verse 37 here. It says, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Now under this point of considering how the faith or how the storm challenged the faith of the disciples, we see the first thing that Mark does here is he tells us about the severity of the storm itself. He mentions three things in this verse that communicate to us that reality. First he says that a great windstorm arose. Secondly, he says that the waves were breaking into the boat. And thirdly, he says that the boat was already filling. Now we get a picture of what's going on here, that this wasn't just some little breeze on the ocean. This wasn't some mist just falling from the sky. This was an all-out windstorm. The boat was filling with water, and it was threatening the lives of the disciples. Mark gives us these details for two reasons. The first is that Mark details here the greatness of the storm to help us understand the gravity of the trial that the disciples were experiencing. This was no small trial but a life-threatening one. So we see here the disciples are in the midst of an extraordinary trial that becomes a faith-challenging experience. And we see their faith challenged as the text moves on, first in their response to Jesus and then in Jesus' response to them. In verse 38, it talks about Jesus being asleep on the boat, and we're going to talk about that uh, in a moment. But for our purposes here, we see that the disciples, fearing for their lives, cry out to Jesus as they see him sleeping through this storm, and they say, teacher, teacher, Do you not care that we are perishing? Don't you care what's going on here? This is a rather bold accusation about Jesus by the disciples, is it not? Don't you care? Does Jesus not care for his disciples here? You see, this clearly reveals to us the quality of the disciples' faith. The disciples questioning Jesus' care for them shows us that their faith was weak. That they didn't understand how much Jesus did care for them. Now we see their weak faith here in their response to Jesus in the midst of the storm. But we also see the weakness of their faith as Jesus questions their faith. And this is in verse 40. After calming the storm, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And what Jesus does here is he connects the weakness of the disciples' faith to their fear of the storm. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? You see, this storm produced fear in the disciples because they doubted Jesus' desire to help them in their time of need. The storm is challenging the faith of the disciples and it has found their faith to be weak, not believing and trusting in Jesus as they ought But as we see in verse 41, the faith of the disciples does not stay this way. Rather, we see their faith increase. As the disciples are staring at Jesus after his miraculous calming of the storm, the text says this in verse 41, They were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Through this trial, the faith of the disciples was both challenged and strengthened. Now, how do we know this to be true? Well, we see it in the text as there is an important shift that takes place in the hearts of the disciples, and it's in relation to what they feared. What do we see at the beginning? We saw them fearing the storm. Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Why are you afraid of this storm? It was because of their weakness of faith. But yet after the storm is calmed, we see that they were more afraid. Verse 41 says that they were greatly afraid. That a great fear came over them. But what we see happen here is the object of their fear changes. They go from fearing the storm to fearing Jesus to standing in reverential awe of Him. And that shows us that this fear that they had, this lack of faith turned to a strength in faith as they shifted their fear from the storm to our proper object, right? Jesus Christ Himself. So we see here that this storm had a unique way of revealing the quality of the disciples' faith. It challenged their faith, And we see that it was weak at the beginning, but throughout the process, it becomes stronger. So the first thing, as I said previously, that storms do is that they challenge our faith. And we see this in the example of the disciples. But not only do these storms challenge our faith, they also reveal to us the identity of Jesus And the first thing that we need to consider here as we look at how this storm reveals to us the identity of Jesus is the posture of control that Jesus maintains throughout the story. Let's look back at verse 37 and 38. Again, it says, and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But... Jesus was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Notice the contrast that the text gives us here. On either side of Jesus, there is an uncontrollable, uh, frantic, and fearful reaction to this storm. First, we have the raging of the sea on the one side. The great windstorm that arose and then we see Jesus sleeping and then on the other side of that, we see, the, or we see the disciples fearful and frantic as they respond to the storm. Now Mark is seeking to contrast here both the storm and the disciples' reaction to Jesus. Jesus. In contrasting the raging sea to Jesus, we see that Jesus, not raging, is rather perfectly and peacefully at rest. In contrast to the frantic and fearful disciples, we see Jesus calmly and confidently unconscious. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is actually sleeping through this event. In the midst of the storm, Jesus maintains a posture of control. He's sleeping. Now, you may be thinking in your mind, I'm not so sure that uh, Jesus sleeping here in this text is proof that he is in control of what's going on. Uh, But I think it's very easy for us to understand that that is indeed the reality when we consider when we find ourselves in these own circumstances. When we find ourselves fearing something, when, when something causes you great anxiety, when something is weighing on you that you can't control, some circumstance in your life, how does your body respond to that? It's very hard to sleep, isn't it? It's very hard to rest. And we don't see here in this story an ounce of anxiety or fear in Jesus. So, how does this contrast between the disciples and the storm and Jesus display his identity to us? Well, consider this a storm severe enough to make any mere man fear for his life finds the God man in perfect serenity. It tells us something about who Jesus is. He has complete control over what is going on here. Jesus' posture of rest displays His divine identity to us. And not only do we see His divine identity displayed through His posture of rest, but we also see it in the way that He exercises His divine power over the storm. And we see this ultimately in verse 39, but let's look again at verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Now we saw earlier that Mark communicates to us the details of the storm to show us the severity of the uh, trial that the disciples were going through. But here we see the second reason why Mark emphasizes the storm and how great it was. Mark emphasizes the greatness of the storm to elevate the greatness of the one who calms it. And that's what we see here in verse 39. The text says that Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And what happened? It obeyed the wind and the sea bent its knee to the command of Jesus. It's amazing, isn't it? Can you imagine being in this situation with the disciples and seeing Jesus' divine display of his power? Simply speaks and nature obeys. When When I look at this, when I see Jesus calming the storm, I can't help but think of those of you who are here who do not believe in Jesus. Whether this is your first time in a church or your thousandth time in a church, you know deep down that you don't believe this. That you don't believe in Jesus, that you don't trust in Him. Upon seeing this miraculous event, there should be a question rolling around in your mind. The question that you should be asking yourself is this Why did the storm obey Jesus' command? This is a question that you cannot afford to ignore. And the reason you cannot afford to ignore it is because if Jesus did indeed calm this storm, if the winds and the waves obeyed him, it reveals to us who Jesus is. And if Jesus truly is God, then you are just as subject to him as the winds and waves in this story. So then, why did the storm obey? It's very simple. The storm obeyed Jesus because it recognized the voice of the one who brought it into existence. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place. Genesis 1, nine. The reason that the winds and the waves obeyed Jesus is because they recognized the voice of their creator standing before them. They had no choice. They had to obey because he is Lord over them. The calming of the storm is what led the disciples as they marveled at Jesus to ask the question that reveals to us his divine identity. Who then is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? The disciples still questioning this at this point. Mark has made it very clear. The divine identity of Jesus is revealed by the disciples' questions. Jesus is the one whom Mark has set out to prove that he is the Christ, the Son of God. God in human flesh. So we see here how the storm reveals Jesus to us. Now we have looked over this story and we have seen how the storm revealed to us the faith of the disciples and also the identity of Jesus. And now I want to consider how these two things come together and I want to see how this story helps us walk through storms that we encounter in life. There are many helps, as I call them, in this story. This story is so instructive for the difficult seasons we walk through in life. There are many things that could be brought up here. I just want to talk about four. Four helps that we see here that should help us in walking through the storms that we encounter in life. The first help that we see is that Jesus controls our storms. We saw this in Jesus' posture of control in the midst of the disciples' storm, and we must be assured that he controls our storms as well. Now, when some of you hear that, that doesn't comfort you, but that actually makes you uncomfortable. You would rather have Jesus and God distant from your sufferings rather than being in control of them. For some of you, that's very hard to swallow. And I think that we often struggle with this, Jesus' control of our sufferings, because we don't know him very well. Is that not what the disciples' problem was? They didn't know him well enough. They questioned his desire to help them. Do we not find ourselves in very similar situations? Storms in our lives and and what comes out of us is, God, don't you care? Don't you care about what I'm going through? I think that if we knew Jesus more, we would find comfort in his control. Consider what Paul Tripp says regarding God's control of our suffering. He says, God's sovereignty would not be such a huge comfort were it not for the fact that his rule is an expression of his glory. His sovereignty is tempered, directed, and expressed by his character. Because of this, in all of your pain and confusion, you can rest assured that the one who rules over every hard thing you experience is trustworthy because he is perfectly holy, lovingly wise, and good in every way. You see, it's through understanding more who Jesus is that we begin to find comfort in the reality of his control of our sufferings. Because we know that he is good. We see this reality, we see the loving control of Jesus is made abundantly clear to us as we consider here our second help. The second way this passage is instructive for us is we see that Jesus will not refuse our requests for help because of our weak faith. Jesus calms the storm even though his disciples' faith is weak. They cry out to him and say, "Lord or teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?" We saw how this was a manifestation of the weakness of the disciples' faith. And yet, what does Jesus do? He immediately rises and comes to their aid. This should be a great encouragement to us all. That though we lack a perfect faith, we have a perfectly compassionate and loving Savior who is quick to come to our aid, even when we are not quick to trust Him. J.C. Ryle says this, The Lord Jesus is very pitiful and of tender mercy. He sees the weakness of his people. He is aware of their shortcomings. He knows all the defects of their faith, and yet he will not cast them off. He bears with them continually. He loves them even to the end. He raises them when they fall. He restores them when they err. His patience, like his love, is a patience that passes knowledge. When he sees a heart right, it is his glory to pass over many a shortcoming. There is great encouragement For us in this, our weakness of faith is not a stumbling block to Jesus coming to our aid. He will come to our aid, even though our faith may be weak. The third help that we see in this passage is that storms are meant to build our faith by dissolving the illusion of our control. Storms are meant to build our faith by dissolving the illusion of our control. There is great irony in this passage. I don't know if you caught it when we worked through it or not, but here's the irony. We have the disciples, many of whom are fishermen. They are out at sea in a boat. Now, this is likely a place of great comfort and control for them being as they spent much of their time there fishing, right? This is what they did for a living. If they lacked any sense of adequacy or control, certainly it would not have been in a boat at sea. This is where they would have felt most confident and most in control. And yet, where do we see the irony in this story? The disciples, fishermen, out at sea, a windstorm arises and they find themselves out of control, crying out to Jesus, who was a carpenter by trade, for help. That's irony, right? The disciples crying out to a carpenter for help at sea. This storm had a way of showing the disciples that any control they believed they had was an illusion. It was an illusion. But there is again great encouragement and hope in this because it is through the acknowledgement of their lack of control that was the gateway to greater faith in Christ. You see, there's this reality that that we cannot trust Jesus until we give up the control that we believe we have. And storms are meant to help us along that path. Storms dissolve the illusion of our control, and when we find ourselves in the midst of an uncontrollable situation, what do we do? We go to the one who has complete control over it. We are left with that being our only option. We can't handle this ourselves. But Jesus can. And so our storms, in a very real and beautiful way, seek to help us see that we are not in control, but that Jesus is, and it turns our eyes to Him. In faith, we seek His help. The storms that we walk through are meant for the same purpose. To increase our faith by increasing our sense of helplessness. And they're very good at doing that, are they not? Very good. Now, this leads us to our fourth and final help from this passage. Our storm is ultimately about Jesus and therefore supremely important. I wanna be gracious as I walk through this because this is very hard to hear at times depending on the storm that you're walking through. But this is true and we need to ask Jesus for help to accept its truthfulness. Every sufferer wants one thing out of their storm, at least one, but one primarily. Every sufferer wants their storm to have meaning and purpose. Every single sufferer wants that universally. That's partially the way that they find themselves being able to survive in the midst of the storm is that they reason that it has some meaning or some purpose, though they may recognize it or not. Every sufferer wants that. But there is also a great temptation for every sufferer to make their storm about them. There's a great temptation when we walk through trials for us to turn inward on ourselves and it be all about us. Now the reality is when our storms become all about us, they lose their meaning and significance. And that's the danger That's the danger. Notice how this story ends. The disciples question, who then is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? You see, the disciples were not consumed with their storm or with themselves at all. But the story shows us that they are staring in awe of Jesus. The faith of the disciples is certainly a part of this story, but it's a sub-point. This story through and through is about Jesus and revealing to us who He is. And we see that as the story comes to a conclusion with all of the focus being on Christ. And this is what makes our storm supremely important, purposeful, and meaningful. Is that it can bring us to a place of marveling at the glory of Jesus. And it allows us to invite others into marveling in Him as well. That's the glory in the midst of the storm. It points us to Jesus. Consider in whole here the help that we have from this passage. First, we see that Jesus controls our storms. He maintains a posture of control, even through the storms we go through. And in this, we can find much comfort because we trust his character Secondly, we see that Jesus will not refuse our request for help because of our weak faith. Our weakness in faith is not a stumbling block to Jesus helping us. Even a little bit of faith is enough for the God of the universe to come to our aid. Thirdly, storms are meant to build our faith by dissolving the illusion of our control. When we come to a place of complete helplessness, We see Jesus more clearly and that he is the one who can help us and we run to him. And fourthly, our storm is ultimately about Jesus and therefore supremely important. Jesus graciously allows us to see him more clearly through our storms. Brothers and sisters, is this not a great encouragement for us? Through the storms of life, we have a sovereign, loving, faith-building, supremely glorious Savior who walks with us through it all. And the beauty that is found in the midst of the storm is that we begin to see with greater clarity who Jesus is. And the role that we play in the storm is to marvel at him and to invite others to stand in awe of him. With us, Let's go to the Spirit in prayer, asking Him, pleading with Him that in the midst of our storm we would be able to recognize these truths and be able to use them that our storm might not bring us to despair but bring us to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for this story. Thank you for this beautiful picture of Jesus calming the storm. Lord, as we have seen how you aim to help us through this story, I pray that your spirit will be at work in our hearts to come to a willingness to trust you in the midst of our storms. That we might use this as a great help in those times. And most of all, that it might please you to show us Jesus more clearly through them. That's our aim. That's what we want. We want Jesus to be glorified. Make it true, I pray. I ask these things in the name of Jesus and for his glory, amen.